Malcolm Gladwell said 10,000 hours, I probably have 20, 30,000 hours at this point. I go completely with, with my gut. And if something tells me to go left and play this, and something tells me to go right and go do this, I kind of do it, you know? Uh, it's And I also am really good at controlling like how long a song should play. So like I know if I played a song for 30 seconds, I can get the maximum impact out of you. Some songs you gotta play five, six minutes. Like, I'm, I'm, but I don't, there's no thought process for me doing that anymore. It's just all intuitive. I, I could, it's almost at the point, this is kind of crazy, like I could feel it without even like looking up. <laughs> That's Mick doubling or tripling Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours to succeed or be an expert. You know him, Brooklyn-based, multi-talented, creative music curator and DJ. Inc. Magazine calls Mick combination of Gary Vee and Questlove. I love that. Great conversation. Nick digs into reading a fan. You know, he's live every night for hours and hours with these fans and playing to their emotional cues. What he learned from De La Soul and Beastie Boys, why he was a fan of them and their inspiration that it helped him in the business career that he is today. How he uses Instagram and Twitter, how he engages with his fans on each of those platforms, how he uses them differently, and the importance of the environment, not just the music, but the venue and the feel and event production and why people are putting so much energy and time into it. And of course... He digs into his favorite party every single year he spins, and it doesn't change each year. Enjoy. The last event I did, let's see, out of, out of the country, I did Twitter's party at uh, Can Lions, and it's always like my favorite party of the year. It's literally like the best way to close an amazing festival of, of creativity, and it's literally one of the parties I do every year where nobody wants to leave people are screaming for more songs we're all on 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 the beach in the south of france and it's the most epic production and the most epic sound and there's like amazing performers of which i get to be a part of that every year and people just stand there and they just want more and more and more and these are some of the most creative people on the planet all at that party so for me i feel like i'm completely winning at life when as a creative person I, there are people who are equally as creative wanting more from me and that that to me is just such an amazing synergy yeah so it's interesting because you're 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 performing all the time everywhere in the world that you can immediately think of one moment every year that stands out so what is it about the audience because we're talking about the fan here why why is it so great why are why are they so into it and they do not want to leave well i think specifically in in that case um although you could apply this across the board to certain other scenarios as well i think oftentimes those fans specifically for that party are so used to being in the driving seat for creativity and in the driving seat for ambition in the driving seat for like making sure everything is just perfect all the time that they actually enjoy that moment where they can be in an environment that, that they trust and they feel and around peers that they can relate to but they can trust somebody else to handle the creative portion for them i do think that 22 bottles of rosé probably helps fuel that energy as well but and then obviously like you know i'm a big i'm really big on like an environment and, and it's just like you're on a beach in the south of france and you're looking at boats and skylines and palm trees hearing amazing music with some of your closest people that not only people that you're friends with but people that you're celebrating wins with and um and, and that's and then so you, you there's that camaraderie and 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 alcohol fueled love, uh, <laughs> coupled with the right music and the right you know I'm really good at pressing the right emotional cues at the right time, 
uh, with, 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 uh, my music and, um, it creates that perfect moment. And I've actually expanded my fan base tenfold from doing events like that. Hmm. I mean, you talk about emotional cues, and when we talk about fan engagement, you're at the epicenter of it. I mean, you can see every second the audience staring back at you, and based on how they're moving or if they're on the dance floor or not or on the sides, what's working or what's not. So how do you think about just the engagement and those emotional cues? It's more like, how do you know? How do you know when it's the right time to play it? Um, you know, for me, I trust my instinct. Mm. I, I, I look out into the audience and I used to like, try to really analyze it and really try to like figure out, you know, there, there are, I mean, I've watched like random YouTube tutorials of DJs telling DJs like what to do. And this is when you should do this. And this is when you should do that. And I'm sure all that works probably for me. I just literally, you know, if, if, if Malcolm Gladwell said 10,000 hours, I probably have 20, 30,000 hours at this point. I go completely with, with my gut, and if something tells me to go left and play this, and something tells me to go right and go do this, I kind of do it, you know. Uh, it's and I also am really good at controlling like how long a song should play. So like I know if I played a song for thirty seconds, I can get the maximum impact out of you. Some songs you got to play five six minutes. Like I'm, I'm, but I don't. There's no thought process for me doing that anymore. It's just all intuitive, and uh, you, you know, I, I could. It's almost at the point. This is kind of crazy. Like I could feel it without even like looking up like you're supposed to like obviously like watch a crowd and i obviously do like watch my crowd but i can feel it i could kind of just tell like if i'm like if i play a song and i'm only 30 seconds in and i'm quickly looking for another song before i even like look up i can kind of sense that energy in front of me without even like looking up it's kind of crazy i wish i could, i wish i had that magic touch in every other aspect of my life <laughs> we all we all do so I, I hear you on that and the 20 or thirty thousand hours and so you you yourself have that emotional cue and that feeling on what hits or not. But I also imagine when you're jumping from uh, client to client or performance to performance, your audience is very different. Sometimes it's totally. older, corporate, young, millennial, uh, you know, gender, race, geography. So you know, is there thought between in that or like how deep or, or do you feel like for any of those audiences, you just have the feel for it? Um, I think I just had to feel for it. You know, I pride myself on the diversity of my career. Um, my life, I just spoke the other day on a panel and was talking about this. Like, my life has been a series of dualities since the very beginning. And I think now as like a adult with this really fun, creative career, I look at how all those dualities shape me to be able to live in multiple spaces at the same time. And, and I think that applies itself as well to how I, how I DJ. So I can literally, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you my last, I'll tell you my last week. I had four events that, 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 that I, they're completely different. Every single one of them. I, and I, and I crushed it at all four. And the first one was, um, uh, what was I doing? Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, wait. I know what I did. Yeah. The first one was a private event, uh, in San Francisco for a really high, high ranking tech guy who had a wedding on a mountain. Uh, and it was the most outlandish thing I've ever seen. Night, the nicest family you'll ever meet. And it was, it was, you know, it, it, it had two events. One was very, um, musically rudimentary and one was very musically soulful and eclectic. And I was able to crush both of those for a very, very, very high end crowd. And then, uh, 
three days later, I was in LA doing the launch party for NBA 2K, which is like a big sports video game, which most people are very familiar with. And that party was a bunch of like eight, 18 to to 25 year old you know gamers and streetwear kids that like want to hear the newest song that comes on on spotify that day not just that day but on the way to the party because they listen to it seven times on the way there and it's my job to have that by the time they get from their uber to the dance floor and so that was completely polar and then three days later from there i was in denver um doing an event for thrillist opening for uh, my favorite group of all time which was de la soul where i played nothing but like like classic 90s hip hop and soul and funk and, and did that whole thing. And then two days later I was speaking on a stage in Columbus, Ohio, talking about how I do all of that. And so like, for me, I didn't, I don't have to prepare for any of those things uh, because like, I, I just, it just, it's just who I am and, it, and it's just what I do. So I know inherently when I'm around zillionaires on a mountain, how I would play versus where I'm around 21 year old, streetwear influencer video game influencer kids versus when they're around people who are just there to hear music and have a great time versus an event like i did for spotify the other day which ended up being more chill and cocktaily. it was like a reception for a, a big uh content program they're doing where i was literally just playing chill vibes no expectation of dancing no expectation of anything and it was a it was a completely different set than those other three things i just talked about and i just know and i feel and you know I, I, there's one thing any good dj will tell you is you could tell when a bad DJ is, is, is overshooting. And when I walk into a, a party, like for example, the Spotify thing I just mentioned, where I'm literally in a, in a balcony overlooking a conference and I'm just playing stuff for people to vibe out to before they're about to go learn a bunch of shit. And there's some DJ playing like it's two in the morning in a nightclub. <laughs> like that's, can, can I cuss? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm always just like, what are you doing bro like it's like it's 6 30 and we're like you know I'll, I'll give you something. i'm djing tonight in at on this florida uh the new york stock exchange i'm djing a company's ipo party and they're having it at the new york stock exchange cool. like there is a way i'm gonna play tonight that like it'll be fun and progressive but i'm not trying to like you know you have to keep in mind like where you're at and what these people are doing we are not raging out by the, the damn bell yeah like this is not that's not gonna help them that's not gonna help me uh, it's just, but, but like, there's just a way that you, you have to know where you are. You have to know the vibe of where the people are at. And, and, um, tying it back to your point, like you, when you reach people on the level of where they're at, uh, that's how I think you can create a longer term, like fan relationship with them. Cause they, they, cause you're connecting with them with who they are. And you mentioned De La Soul. So let's, let's flip the model here. Why are you a fan? What's the emotional cue that they have that fires you up? Um, like, like in, like in which way, like what makes just, me like, like there? Why are you a fan? Why, why are you a fan? I mean, you said, you know, Oh, sure. Okay. I mean, I'm a fan of them. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of a lot of people from the air for the same reason, but like, you know, for, for me, it was, it was a multiple, as a multiple choice question of, of, of that one musically when they started, it really resonated with me because they sampled every single genre of music to the point that they sampled so much shit. You can't even find their stuff on streaming because it's unclearable <laughs> and it's impossible. Uh, that's how like amazing it was. So like I literally learned everything I needed to know about music history from probably the first two day of soul albums and Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. If you put, those are probably the most sample, those are probably the most sample heavy albums ever made in mankind, which is why like, again, probably none of those guys make any money off those albums. Uh, 
And so that really, that made me a fan from, from the beginning. Um, because I, I just, I really learned, I learned, it was like, it was music 101 listening to like two albums. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so from those albums, I was able to learn about the Beatles and the turtles and, and the, all these things and, and, and funk bands and random TV shows I never heard of that they sampled dialogue from. It was just, it was, it was amazing. It was like, it was like, you know how like Twitter was like 140 characters. It was like, it was like distilling music into that 20 years ago. It was a phenomenal thing. And, um, well, I guess Twitter's 280 now, but like the early Twitter. Um, and so there was that, then there was also like on a personal level, which is actually why that show the other day really was important to me. Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm friends with those guys now, which is really cool. But like, uh, the first thing I ever DJed in public of, of relevance when I was in college was opening for them. Hmm. And, um, I sucked ass. I was horrible. I was like a, you know, a freshman in college. I didn't know anything, but I had a college radio hip hop show that was remotely popular for a semester. And, uh, so I got booked to open for, um, for the group and, um, I didn't know what I was doing, but like to, to me, when I think about like the genesis of my career outside of DJing in a, in a, in a, a rec room in a dorm, it was that. And, and uh, I still have photos of it somewhere. And it's just like that to me. So it, for me, it was like, I, I equate them with the genesis of my career in a lot of ways. It was my first time ever on a big stage. It's hmm. a cool backstory. Talk about social platforms. I know you're, you're posting on Twitter, but are you on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snap, YouTube? Where, where do you spend your time pushing content but also engaging with your fans uh instagram and twitter are my two go-tos mm-hmm. um i use them i use them very different um i use twitter more for i guess businessy kind of relationships and and, and and sharing thoughts like that and i use instagram for pretty much like the visual diary of the great things i'm fortunate to be a part of uh i also use it as a as a way for me to you know kind of like showcase the amazing relationship I have with my son. Uh, he's a big part of my personal brand. So I would say 20% of my Instagram content is family, but it's done in a really tasteful way where it's like not disrespectful to my family or it's also not my family, meaning my, my son and myself. And it's also not done in a way where it's just like, you know, like, like, you know, sometimes you just look, look on, on, on someone's Instagram and it's just like, it's just like a, a sloppy, baby picture like it's like my, my stuff's really well curated and like if there's a picture of my, of my son it, it matches the the aesthetic of of of, of my brand but I'm, re- I'm really fortunate because we have a we have a great like our, our lives intertwine in a way that enables us to kind of create those moments effortlessly uh i i use i use instagram probably as it's probably my biggest business generator i can tell you that mm. for sure absolutely what's that mean like because the the followers of such end up being the ones that are hiring you or how's it a business generator well it used to be like people wanted a press kit and then people would go to your website and all of those sort of things and i'm sure they still do that like i mean uh, for me like i just send people to my instagram at this point like if you take a look at any 30-day snapshot of my career you're gonna see me djing for some of like the biggest brands or big people you're gonna see me um, living a, a, a lifestyle that's aspirational yet true. Hmm. Um, you're going to see me as a conscious, 
courageous and and just like really like down to earth human being with with my kid. These are all things clients look for. They want to know that you do a bunch of dope shit. They want to know that like you know you, you're worth the money that they're paying you because your life is 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 you know is showing that you know that and then they want to know that you're, you're not a fucking douchebag and so i'm just i'm distilling this very simple for you but like that's pretty much like what it is like do great work be worthy of what i'm, what I'm charging them and and don't be a dick that and that that's kind of like I, sh- I just i show those three things in a very aesthetically beautiful way but if you if you want to break it down to the three main points, that's just what it is. Yeah, and what about engaging with your fans or your audience? Do you do it more so on Twitter or Instagram? Both, both. I mean, I would say I get more engagement on Instagram because like the visual aspect of it really lends itself to to those sort of comments. And it, and I have my audience is so far ranging and diverse that like I. Um, you know, it just depends. Like if I, I could post a picture and it, it will go over most people's heads. I could post another picture and it'll reach out. Like if I post a picture of some amazing new sneakers that I got that haven't come out yet, I'm going to reach a certain part of my demographic that's completely different than posting a picture of me and my kid on a stage, which is going to be a completely different experience than posting a picture of that party in, in Cannes that I was talking about. Like every, you know, I, different things reach people in different ways. And then what I try to do is like, you know, just like, navigate and nurture those relationships and you know it's 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 not that hard to to, to do you I mean, you could do it in five to ten minutes a day and then it's just it's nice it's nice and, and sometimes really cool things happen for them how, how important outside of what you're doing and who the audience is is the venue itself just the vibe of where you are um very important mm-hmm. very 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 important I would say for me, like the better the environment is, like the better the party is, the better. I mean, I would say, I mean, I mean, even if you you could take a step back and just think about like, you know, think about your home, right? Like you spend so much time at home, you want to walk in your house and feel good, right? Like I think when people walk into an environment, whether it's aesthetically, whether it's the people, whether it's the drinks, whether it's the food, whether it's the view, like people want to feel great and that's why people spend zillions of dollars on on event production and that's why you know the better the better the bigger and better the company the bigger and better the event usually because they have more more money to throw behind it and you want to give people these like sensory touch points that are just beyond you know now there obviously are times where it's simply just about the music like i love once or twice a year when i get booked in like a sweaty gnarly gross basement party where i'm Hmm. just playing amazing song after amazing song and nobody gives a fuck and those are fun too because that's what i what i came from but when you're talking about like like the average person or or like like the the the, the brand side of everything the environment is, is i think as important as the music to be completely honest with you when you're up there uh performing spinning talking to the audience how much are are folks into it and dancing versus sitting up there with their phone and capturing what you're doing and the environment and how much has that changed oh i mean it's changed significantly and tremendously i think it really depends on the event um when i did um when i did so, like, if I do a, something that's not a stage-ish, um, it's a lot more dancing, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, using an example of last week, like, the, the, the super fun wedding scenario uh, or any sort of, like, event that's dance 
intensive, people usually dance. When I did the thing on opening for, for Dela, I was on a I was on a big stage at a, at a huge like concert hall. It was in Denver. It was like a big like not like an amphitheater, but it was like a huge concert venue where it's just like thousands of people in the audience, and I'm on a huge stage with like lights and stuff. So people's you know pre distinction to do was just like watch. It was more like a show. So people were like moving, but they weren't like dancing per se because there was not like a dance floor. They were all like packed in there, like waiting for the show. So I got a lot of uh, social interaction that night because people are programmed now to take pictures and video of performers on stage. Um, so there's there was that, you know. So I think it really just depends on on the environment, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you've you've spun and performed publicly, privately for some of the biggest folks in the world. Are there one or two out there that are still on that wish list because of not just them as someone you like, role model, think you would be awesome, but you also know that their fan base would just crush it and you just want to get in that environment? Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm quite sure there are. I'd have to, I mean, this is, since your podcast is going to go like, platinum and diamonds so i need to like be really really <laughs> wise answer this one ass tear. i should say uh i should say martin mark cuban and tony hawk right, yeah, that's uh, right. I, should, <laughs> uh, I mean you know i i don't know i don't know man like i just like it, it is that's such an open-ended question i just like performing for people that uh, on when it, when i was talking about people on like that level i like people who i i my relationship with, with clients tends to end up more on a human I mean, not all the time, but like, I like, if you're going to be like rich and famous and successful and all of that stuff, like I would prefer you to also be kind of like human and a good person too, because like at the end of the day, like we all have to like pee standing up or sitting down or, I mean, or it depends, I guess on, on your, on your genes or like <laughs> we all, and we all, or maybe it doesn't cause it's 2019, you can do what you want, but it's just like, we all have to like deal with kids and we all have to deal with missed flights and we all have to deal with the line and whole foods you know what i mean like we're all like i like i like i like the people who no matter what they have going on in their lives they can they can act like a human and i found more people at the top that act like that actually than people on the way to the top and that's the bond thanks for listening 